And so we we tell ourselves these stories, these, you know, these litmus tests of, of what makes us good and what makes us bad. And a lot of times they're not even really tied to what we really even want in our lives. Do we even really want that? Or is this just what we think we're supposed to want or what we're so, supposed to be working towards? Let's talk about self-talk. Self-talk is that voice inside your head that narrates everything happening around you. Sometimes self-talk pumps you up, like after you nail a meeting with a new client and you remind yourself what a boss you are. Sometimes self-talk cuts you down, like when you realize you've made a mistake and you tell yourself you're such a screw up. I think we're all pretty familiar with how our inner critics or inner cheerleaders can impact the way we feel or act at this point. But what you might not be so familiar with is how your self-talk can reinforce stories about how the world works, stories that just don't hold up to scrutiny. You're listening to What Works, the show that transcends the hype to bring you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, this month on What Works, we're examining taking care of ourselves with our businesses. And that doesn't just mean taking time for a Hawaiian vacation with all those sweet airline miles you've earned on your business credit card, nor does it mean treating yourself to a massage, a meal delivery, or a first-class upgrade because you, quote, deserve it. Taking care of yourself with your business means examining how you work and how the business works for you from the ground up. Today, we're going to look closely at a key component of how you make decisions for your business, your self-talk, and how your self-talk contributes to the 21st century phenomenon of FOMO. Specifically, we're going to look at the stories we tell ourselves and how they convince us to do more, push harder, and never rest for fear of missing out. Next week, we'll examine how your business model and identity as a service provider impacts how you run your business with growth strategist Toy Smith. You'll also hear from podcaster Elsie Escobar about how she audits her growth and accomplishments over the course of the year and sets intentions for the year to come. Then you'll hear from Haley Thomas about how a sudden loss led her to rethinking the way her business operates and how it impacts her life. All right, back to self-talk and the fear of missing out. A bunch of the stories we tell ourselves revolve around what it takes to be a good business owner. And these stories make it really difficult to take good care of ourselves. Your story might be that a good business owner is always available for their clients. So the first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do at night is check your email. Or you might tell yourself that a good business owner always completes their to-do list and you beat yourself up when you don't. Or you might tell yourself that a good business owner is on all the social media platforms. So you work your tail off to be omnipresent anywhere there's a chance of an at sign or a like. At the root of all of these stories is FOMO. You're afraid you'll miss an important client email and that client will dump you. You're afraid you're not as productive as you should be and you'll miss out on a big opportunity. You're afraid all the cool kids are hanging out on a different social media app and you'll lose the chance to make it big. The fear of missing out is fueled by these stories. Our self-talk keeps us on the edge, always wondering if we're good enough, smart enough, or tough enough. Now, Tanya Dalton 
would like us to know there's another way. In fact, Tanya has worked hard to rewrite her own stories, clean up her own self-talk, and embrace the joy of missing out. Tanya Dalton is the author of The Joy of Missing Out and the founder of Inkwell Press. She's also the host of the hit podcast, The Productivity Paradox. I wanted to talk with Tanya about how embracing the joy of missing out has transformed her own self-talk as an entrepreneur. We chat about the glorification of busy in today's culture, the litmus tests we subject ourselves to, how we can rewrite stories that aren't serving us, and how Tanya actively chooses what she wants to miss out on so she can embrace more of what she really wants out of life and business. Now, let's find out what works for Tanya Dalton. Tanya Dalton, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for us to chat. All right. So I am incredibly excited about talking about the joy of missing out and how you've applied it in your own life and business. But first, I'd really love to kind of get the personal, your own personal origin story for this book. Where did it come from? What really kind of started to solidify this idea in your mind? So tell me about the day you realized that a fear of missing out was creating a massive amount of overwhelm and distress in your life. Yeah, I think, you know, I had this moment where I was growing my business. This is when I was growing my my first business before I had Inkwell Press. And I'd been working all day long. And this is when my kids were really little. So they were, you know, my kids were playing at my feet a lot of the time when I was growing that first business. I would literally work in my kitchen at my little tiny desk that was one foot by two feet. And they would play at my feet. And it had been a long day of just like running kids to the playground, going to the library, squeezing in some website maintenance, doing a little bit of like customer service work, doing, you know, doing all the things essentially. And so I was standing at the, at the stove making a spot, a a pot of spaghetti. And I heard my husband, I heard the the door of the garage open up. So I heard the car go in and I'm expecting him to come in and give me a little bit of a reprieve, give me a little bit of a breather, right? Get the kids out from clinging onto my leg while I'm stirring the spaghetti. And he doesn't come in and he doesn't come in. And he doesn't come in. And I'm at this point, like each minute that passes, my blood is just starting to boil and I'm getting more and more irritated and a little bit more ramped up. So I want to back up and say, I adore my husband. I love my husband. But at this moment, I wasn't really feeling the love because I'm like, what is he doing out in the garage while I'm in here, you know, doing all these things, taking care of the kids, making the spaghetti. So I stomp over to the garage door and I open up the garage door and I see him sitting in his car and he is laughing at something that's going on on the radio. And he's having a great time just sitting in his car, listening to the end of some sort of radio bit. And I thought to myself, how dare he, how dare he sit in his car and enjoy himself when I am in here? I would never, ever do that. And as soon as those words started rattling and bouncing around inside my head, I literally gasped out loud and thought, when did this happen to me? When did I stop being a person who thought it was okay to sit and enjoy a radio bit, for goodness sake, for for two or three minutes? When did I lose sight of who I am because I'm so busy trying to check off a million things on my list that I've lost sight of what really brings me happiness? And I literally broke down. And that was my moment where I started to realize, okay, being busy and being productive are two very different things. And being busy doesn't necessarily mean you're happy. Being busy just means I'm trying to do too much. So I need to actively make a choice. I need to redirect my life and choose 
how I'm going to spend my days. I'm going to structure my life so I have ownership over my calendar and I want to feel successful because I felt like there were far, far, far too many days that I was running around busy, checking a million things off my to-do list, but slipping into bed and thinking to myself, God, Tanya, why didn't you get more done? Why didn't you get this accomplished? You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Going through the list of things I didn't do. I wasn't getting into bed feeling happy or satisfied or successful. I was thinking, why didn't I get more done? And I was tired of it. Tired of that feeling of just not ever being enough, quite frankly. So I really spent a lot of time figuring out how do I create this life for myself? How do I structure my days so that I can be satisfied and happy? Because there's a lot to be said for that, that, you know, we can run a business and run a home and still find time for happiness. In fact, we should be actively making time for that happiness. So that for me was really that light bulb moment that happened where all the pieces started to click that I needed to make some changes in my life. And and that's what I did, essentially. Yeah. So we're going to get into those changes. But I want to spend a little bit more time on this origin story because, whoa, does that resonate with me? (laughs) (laughs) Like that I could feel as you were describing how you were ramping up and waiting for him, the minutes ticking by, Mm -hmm. I could like, I have been there. I have done that. I could feel that same feeling. You were creating that like in my chest and I could feel it even in my arms while you were describing it. Um, and I also adore my husband, but have felt that way, (laughs) you know, when he does things too. Doesn't take away from how we love them, but yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's a reflection on us, right? It's It's not a reflection on them. Yes, It's a reflection on us. And so that's what I want to ask about is I am sure that part of you figuring out what to do next was actually figuring out how you had gotten there in the first place. Mm -hmm. The kinds of stories, the kinds of assumptions, the kinds of standards that you were holding yourself to, the kinds of cultural conditioning that you were subject to as a woman, as a mother, as a business owner that allowed you to feel so angry at someone feeling joy. Right. can you can you give voice to that? Can you describe what you've become aware of in terms of those stories and standards and cultural conditioning? Yeah, well, I think this is a thing is, especially in today's society, there is this glorification of busy, that if we are not busy, we are somehow failing. That if I'm not running around checking a million things off my list, that there is something wrong. Go, I need to stop and figure out what, what's happened here. Am I in the twilight zone? Like, how am I not doing more, right? So we have this whole glorification of busy. I, I see posters, I see signs, I see, I see it on notebooks and notepads. I've even seen it on like pencil pouches that say, I am very busy. Like, like that is a badge of honor. And to me, it's not. Being busy just means you're turning yourself in circles, trying to do way too much and not really spending your days being happy. I mean, if you think about, How often do you or other people you know answer the question of how are you with the word busy? Mm -hmm. We say busy because somehow that elevates us and makes us feel like, you know what? If I'm busy, I must be doing things that are important. And that's not true. Being busy doesn't mean you're happy. It's not even a conversation starter when someone asks you how you are. It's just a way of saying, I have a lot going on and therefore I must be important. And so I think there is a lot of pressure on us to be busy, to be perfect, to do all the things. We see that hashtag all the time, don't we? And so we have these stories that we tell ourselves. And we talk about this in the book. 
this idea of these stories that we tell. And a lot of times they're written in these absolutes of, um, you know, for me, like a good, a good manager always stays later or works harder than their team. Uh, a good business owner never stops thinking about their business. A successful business never stops growing. Or, you know, one of the stories I, I really leaned into pretty hard in my early days was a good mom is always there for every party, every event, every activity for their kids. And so we, we tell ourselves these stories, these, you know, these litmus tests of, of what makes us good and what makes us bad. And a lot of times they're not even really tied to what we really even want in our lives. Do we even really want that? Or is this just what we think we're supposed to want or what we're so, supposed to be working towards? And so these stories over time build up and become these truths that we believe that I didn't go to my kid's Christmas party at their school. Therefore, I'm a bad mom. Mm -hmm. I didn't stay later than my teen today. I'm a terrible boss. And so these stories that we lean into tell us all the things we're doing wrong even though they're not truly tied to the life we want. Quite frankly, I don't want to work longer than my team every single day of the week. I'm happy to work you know, longer than my team on certain days, but I don't have to because I get my work done. I have deep pockets of focus where I get things done. I get a lot accomplished. It's okay to go home and feel good about that. It's okay to go to some of the kids' parties, but not to all of them. It's okay to stop thinking about your business. And so we have to really take these stories and we have to reframe them. And that's one of the reasons why I call them stories, because first of all, they, they feel innocent enough. These are just stories that we're telling ourselves, but they're actually really limiting beliefs. And because they're stories, we feel like they're not doing us any harm. But what I love about these stories is that we're able to rewrite them. We can mm -hmm. rewrite our own stories. We can choose what defines us as a good mom, a good business owner, a, a, a successful business owner. We can rewrite that and say, instead, a good business owner works hard for their team and their team works hard for them as well, right? We can mm -hmm. say a good mom does the very best she can and loves her children as hard as she possibly can. You know, we have to reframe how we look at these stories. And a lot of these stories are things that they've been told to us. There are other people's truths that have kind of invaded our own spaces and become our own truths. We've taken them onto ourselves. So when we can recognize that we're telling ourselves stories, when we're setting ourselves up to these standards that, that we truly cannot ever live up to, and we're setting ourselves up for failure when we can recognize that these, especially because they're written in such absolutes, we can rewrite them for ourselves. Yeah. And that's one of the things we, we, we talk about in the book is let's think about these stories that we talk about. Let's, let's think about this and let's reframe it for ourselves. Yeah. So let's talk about exactly that because mm -hmm. it sounds really good when you say, all right, yes. we've got these stories, let's rewrite them. Um, but I know like so much of the personal work I've done over the last couple of years is re rewriting stories about myself, about my business, but I had to start becoming aware of them first yes. in order to do that. And I still surprise myself today when I'm like, oh, that's a story that I'm operating <laughs> under. Like that's yes. not necessarily true. So mm -hmm. how did you personally start to become aware of the stories that you were operating with. Yeah, because I think you're right. It's easy to say. It's always easy to give advice. It's not always easy to take advice or right. it's not always <laughs> easy to, to do this work. And this is the thing. It's really, 
a lot of what I talk about when we talk about productivity is peeling back those layers of onion, really looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that a lot of times, really the ugly, the, the parts that we don't like, the things that, that, that didn't bring us joy the, when we do our reflections, those are the things we really do need to peel back and take a look at because that is where our, a lot of our stories are hidden. So what I do, I, I really actively do a reflection process I do a really big reflection process at the end of the year, but I also do it each week. Um, and I actually do a, a mini reflection each day. And I like to think about what did I think didn't go well today? Why did I think that this didn't go well? And when I dive into and then I say, OK, this is why. Well, why do I think that? OK, then why do I think that? So I ask myself a series of why at least three or four times. And sometimes I'll say, well, I felt this way and it's a legitimate reason. But when you dig deep enough, you're like, oh, it's a story. <laughs> okay. I'm leaning into something that's unrealistic. And so that to me is one of the reasons why I think reflection is so important to take the time and to look back at what we've done and to really, yeah, it's so important to celebrate our wins, but it's also really important to look at what did I not like about my day? What did I not like about my, my week? Or even if you do this once a month, what did I, what was I not happy with this month? Why was I not happy with it? Why did I think I could do better? Why did I, and just start asking yourself why, when you start digging those stories, they like to pop up to the surface. They really do. And when you can start to recognize that this is a limiting belief that you have, you can. that's when you can start to reframe it. I love that reflection question. It is so simple. And I can mm -hmm. already see like, oh my gosh, if I ask myself that every night or even every week, I could probably uncover like six more stories <laughs> <Right>. every single day. Because <laughs> there's so many stories that we tell ourselves. We have like a whole library just filled with these stories. It's so true. You'll hear how Tanya starts to rewrite the stories that don't serve her in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is proud to announce the brand new What Works Forum. Imagine your business 12 months from now. That's right, I'm talking early December 2020. What's different? Are you happier, more at ease, making more money and serving more fabulous customers? Or are things largely the same? Each year, we make big plans, we set goals, we make commitments, and often we end up in about the same place as we did the year before. I have been there. I have done that. Now, there are plenty of reasons that this happens, but it largely boils down to four key ones. One, not setting aside time to work on your business. Two, not enlisting the support of people who really get it. Three, not following through on what you said you were going to do. And four, not focusing on the really important stuff. So how would your business be different if over the next 12 months, you had set time for working on your business and regular evaluation of your progress. If you had wholehearted support from people who truly want you to succeed. If you had personal accountability for following through on your commitment to change. And if you had clear priorities and a monthly reminder to take stock on what's most important. My guess is that dedicated time, caring support, personal accountability, and clear priorities would go a long way to transforming your business into everything you want it to be. And that's why we created the What Works Forum. It's a 12-month small group experience that combines regular mastermind sessions with quarterly planning, monthly reviews, private conversation space, and even in-person meetups to help you make a massive shift in your business in 2020. 
Now, after working with small business owners for over 11 years, I've put together what I believe to be the ultimate support system for moving your business in the right direction. And we only have room for 30 small business owners in 2020 and spots are going fast. To get all the details and begin your forum registration, go to explorewhatworks.com slash forum. That's explorewhatworks.com slash forum. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. You want your business to take care of you and your customers. But offering products, courses, and programs that shuttle your customers from one platform to another is just not a great way to do that. Now at What Works, we run our whole community on Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks has helped us streamline the way we serve our customers, communicate with our community, and offer dynamic learning experiences. Mighty Networks lets us manage our community content and groups all in one place, and we can manage payment and user registration too. Instead of managing a Facebook group, a learning management system, a payment processor, and an events listing separately, we do it all through Mighty Networks. You can too. Make 2020 the year you streamline your business so you can take better care of yourself and your customers. Get started with Mighty Networks today. Go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, would, I would love to just kind of keep going on this particular like piece yeah. of the puzzle. Uh, what do you do? What do you personally do when you uncover a new story? Something that is making you feel bad, making you feel like you're not enough, making mm-hmm. you feel like you're not as good as you could be. What do you do to start rewriting that? Well, the first thing I like to do is I like to figure out why is it that I feel this way? Like, where did the story even come from? Is this a story that, you know, really is someone else's story that's been projected onto me? Is this, you know, why is it I feel this way? Because that really helps because if it's coming from, let's say, you know, a certain place, let's say it's a, somebody's Facebook account or, or that kind of account, I can say, okay, you know what? I need to spend less time on that right? And I can start actively combating that. Or if this is coming from these messages I'm getting from this place, maybe I need to rethink how I'm spending my time. Is is that really the best use of my time? And so for me, that's the first thing is, is where did this where did this story even come from? And then how can I look at what I really want for my life? So one of the other things we talk about is this idea of this Pinterest worthy life or this Instagram worthy life. And is it really even the life you want? Like, you know, for example, we look on, we look on Pinterest and we see this beautiful living room with this white couch and this white fuzzy, you know, rug. And we're like, Oh, this is what I want. This is, this is what I should have. But then if you really think to yourself, you know what? I got two kids and a dog that sheds. This isn't going to work. It's okay to appreciate it, but is that truly the life that you want? We have to ask ourselves, are these ideals we're setting up for ourselves truly realistic for what we in our heart of hearts really want in our lives? So that's the next thing I lean into. Is this really tied to something I truly want or am I just kind of living up to the comparisonism? Am I leaning into this Pinterest-worthy life or this magazine-worthy life? Um, And so... Then I can start to think about, in reality, what is going to truly work for me? And I think that's the one of the biggest secrets when we talk about how to set up your day for success and how to feel productive and how to feel good and satisfied. Flexibility. Is this really going to be flexible enough to fit my life and where I really want it? 
And so I ask myself those series of questions and then I, I rewrite the, the story. I literally rewrite that sentence so that when I find myself a day later or a week later or a month later telling myself this story again, oh gosh, you know what? I'm the worst mom. I totally forgot to get the groceries today, right? Mm -hmm. I stop and I retell the story to myself. A good mom does the best she can. And sometimes a good mom runs to Chick-fil-A. Yes. A good mom, you know, sometimes a good mom just puts dinner on the table and she doesn't worry about, you know, how many times we've eaten out that week. So I literally actively retell myself that story to start rewriting it as soon as I start recognizing it. And I think one of the ways truly too to recognize it is when are you beating yourself up? As soon as you start beating yourself up, dig into it. What, what is the story I'm telling myself here? If you use the term, I'm a terrible person, I'm a bad mom, I'm not a good business owner, I'm an awful whatever it is, that is when you're telling yourself a story. Yeah. Can I throw another one in there too? Yeah. A story that is not allowed in our household anymore, thanks to my husband, is I'm so lazy. <laughs> oh, Yes, I do not like the term lazy because I feel oh like my God. don't like it at all. Because I think here's the thing is lazy is a choice and lazy can sometimes be an incredible choice. A lazy summer day floating down a river. Amen to that. Yeah. right? But to tell yourself, well, I don't do this because I'm lazy. No, lazy is a choice. You can say, I'm not doing that because it's not a priority. Right. I'm not doing that because I don't want to work on that right now taking ownership over it, being lazy acts like you don't have any choices in that. Well, I can't help it. I'm just a lazy person. And let's be honest, that's not a very nice thing to say about your person, about yourself, really. No. Yeah. No, not at all. I love that your husband has blocked that from your vocabulary. Yeah. I love that he is so intentional with that. That's amazing. Yeah, he uh, he picked up on that story probably about mm, six months ago now, <laughs> and I have I have needed to rewrite it in many different ways. Most uh -huh. of the time, it's it's not that I'm so lazy; it's that I'm extremely productive and efficient. Yes, <laughs> it's like this is just such a ridiculous way uh -huh. to talk about yourself and to give yourself a story. Um, anyhow, uh, enough about me. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear more about how this has played out in your business. Um, mm -hmm. because I think with a lot of us, you know, we're, we're not trained to be entrepreneurs, right? We're most no. of us aren't trained to be business owners. We're often trained in corporate environments, in retail environments, in the school environment. And the stories that we learn there often are a hindrance to us, a big, big roadblock for us yes. in the ways that we manage our businesses. Can you talk about some of the stories that you brought into running your first business, the business that you have now, and how you've been able to rewrite those stories and the actual kind of structural or, or like logistical operational changes that they've uh, helped mm -hmm. you make in the business? Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, it's funny that you say that, that we're not really trained because one of the things that was really creating a lot of stories for me was I like to, I used to, there's that, I used to call myself an accidental entrepreneur. Oh, I don't know. I suddenly was this entrepreneur and I don't know. And when I really looked at it, the breadcrumbs were always there. I had started like five businesses before I really quote unquote started a business, right? It was, it was always mm -hmm. there. And I felt that because I hadn't taken a single business course in college or anywhere, I was a teacher in my former life. Um, I wasn't even in the corporate environment that I was somehow not a real entrepreneur. I wasn't a true entrepreneur because I didn't have any training 
And so for a long time, that made me feel small. To be honest with you, it made me feel like I wasn't as good as everybody else. Even though here I am, like growing a business, you know, I took my husband on, he's my CMO. I was able to be the sole breadwinner for the family and grow a business successfully. That wasn't enough. Somehow I was not a true entrepreneur because I'd never even taken a business course. So what business did I have telling other people how to run their business? And so that really was something that I, I leaned on a lot, that I wasn't good enough because of that. I wasn't smart enough because of that. I wasn't trained well enough. And so it really became this idea that, that I wasn't really, I was in a place that I really wasn't supposed to be. And then when I sat down and I dug into these stories and I found that this is where it really comes from, and I realized oh my gosh, I've been starting businesses since I was like, I don't know how old, but this constant starting a business, I was meant for this. I was designed for this. And everything I've learned, everything I've, I've gone through, the good, the bad, the terrible, the ugly, the, all of it has gotten to me where I am now. I was able to embrace that and say, my past has gotten me to where I am today. And where I am today is a successful, happy entrepreneur running a business that I feel passionate about. So it really is this idea of what are the things that we're, we're leaning on that, that aren't even really true, that I wasn't a real entrepreneur. I think one of the other you know, stories I used to tell myself is that a business has to constantly be growing. If you're not growing, you're failing, right? You can't take a deep breath. You can't, you can't plateau for a little bit, and even intentionally, because otherwise, if you're not having constant growth, there's something wrong. And so I think it's okay to not be constantly striving for growth. You know, we feel like we're constantly supposed to dream bigger and that if on a consistent basis, our goals don't scare us to death, that we're not dreaming big enough. So I obviously do like to set big audacious goals. I wrote a book, I started a business, I, you know, I've, I've I do that. But it's okay too, for some seasons, to be easier, to not go after the gigantic goal. This is that idea of harmony that we talk about in the book is that, you know, we're going to have times we're going over, out after these big things and we're wanting growth, but it's okay too that once you've achieved this level that you want to take some breaths and just enjoy the view, stop and reflect back on the journey and take some time to think about, okay, what are my next steps now? Do I want to stay where I am or do I want to go for a billion dollar business? There's nothing wrong at all with saying, I don't want to have a six-figure business. I want to have a business that enables me to pay for vacations for my family and do these things. It's also okay to say, hey, you know what? I want to be bigger than Amazon. Mm -hmm. Both of those are absolutely okay. What is it that works for you? And so I think that's one of the things that really has helped me that it's okay if I'm not constantly going after big things, especially when my kids were younger and they were home, you know, and I was, you know, squeezing in work and nap time and Mother's Day out activities and play dates and things like that. It's okay that my growth wasn't as, as big and as focused. Later on, when my kids were in school, I was able to go after those bigger goals. We all have seasons. We have ebbs and flows in life. And it's okay to acknowledge that and to lean into that idea. Yeah. And our productivity can do that as well. Let's set up our lives and our productivity systems so they're centered on you and what you truly want. And it's okay to want small. That's all right. Yes. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that though, because I think it's 
I think there could be some listeners out there thinking like, all right, Tanya, like that's easy for you to say because you have the book, you have Mm -hmm. the amazingly popular uh, planner, you have the popular podcast, you have the course, people are, you've got this incredible business. It seems like you do in fact have it all, that you are not actually missing out on anything. So I would love to hear from <laughs> yeah. you. Not true. What are, what are some of the things that you have chosen to miss out on so that you could pursue what is most important to you? Well, I, I love that question because first of all, I don't do it all. Nobody does it all. Nobody does it all and, and at least does it well. And I think that really has been one of the lessons that's really hard to, to really grasp is that it's okay not to be everything. It's okay not to sell a product that everybody wants. In fact, it's better to figure out and focus in on what you want and the customers that you actually really want, because then you're able to service them better and you're better able to create products that are designed for that specific clientele. And so, you know, for me, yeah, you can look at what I have right now and go, God, it's, she has it all together. But I'm a, I'm a person. I'm a person just like all of you. I have moments of, of weakness and moments of struggle and moments of, of breaking down in my closet with the door shut so that my kids don't hear. You know why? Because I'm a person. And I struggle just like everybody else does. Anyone that you look at and you think that they are at the top of their game or they're, they're doing it all really well, that's just what you, you see. You don't see behind the curtain where the wizard is pulling all the strings and doing all of that. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And so I really do feel like for running a business and having a successful business, it does take a lot of actively choosing on what I want to miss out on. What do I want to say no to? And what do I want to say yes to? Because it's not as simple too as just saying, you got to say no to everything. Because saying no fits about as well as a one size fits all t-shirt. doesn't fit at all right? It's not about saying no. It's about finding your yes. What are the yeses that are good for you? What are the yeses that are good for your business? So when opportunity comes, so often we feel like, oh, opportunity is knocking. I have to answer the door every single time it comes calling. And we don't. Sometimes we need to say, you know what? If that opportunity is right, it's going to come back. So I really like to filter everything I do, especially with my personal life and in my business with my North Star. So my North Star is my mission, my vision, and my core values. And this is really why we start the book with that idea of discovery. Let's discover what is at the heart of who you are, your purpose, your priorities, and your passion. And let's look at that North Star and everything filters through that. So whenever an opportunity comes my way to take on something new, to, to, to try adding a, a new skew even, or you know, go to a, a speaking opportunity, anything that comes my way, I filter it through that North Star. Does this fulfill why I do what I do? That's my mission statement. Does it fulfill where I want to go? That's my vision statement. Does it fulfill how I want to get there? Those are my core values. So your mission, your vision, your core values to say why you do what you do, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. And because everything is filtered through that North Star, it's so much easier to say, you know what? This store that's asking to carry my planners isn't the right fit for me. So I'm going to say no to it, even though it's a giant store. That's true. That's happened to me where a giant store has come to me and said, we want to carry your products. And I've said no, because it wasn't the right fit. Wasn't the right partner for us. Wasn't going to be right for our customers. And so we had to say no. Other things come up. 
And so I ask myself all the time, does this fulfill my North Star? And when it doesn't, I say no. And I go through a whole system for how to make it easier to say no in the book. But I really want to focus in on my yeses. What are the yeses that are yours? And when you have a yes that is yours, that's when you can lean into it. And that's really when you'll see growth because you're actively choosing what you want to miss out on. And so, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, can you give us an example of what one of those big yeses is for you? Maybe from the last year. Yeah. Well, let me see. Well, a big yes for me was this book. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, come on, right? Well, I'll tell you a funny story about the book because, um, you know, I had made the decision. I've always wanted to write a book since I was 12 years old. That has been a big goal of mine. And it's something I've revisited every single year. Every January, I sit down. I'm like, is this the year? Not the year, not the year, not the year, right? So I had a mastermind group meeting where we were doing a retreat and the book came up. Is this the year for me to write the book? And we all kind of sat down and we're like, you know what? This isn't the right time. I just don't think this is right. I'm going to say no. That was in October, you know, not this past October, obviously, but Mm -hmm. uh, so it was like our first week of October. So I said, no, I'm not going to write the book. Well, two weeks later, I get this email from a publishing house. We want you to write a book. Like, what? I just said I'm not going to write a book. So I'm like, okay, I'll kind of kind of entertain this idea. So I'm entertaining this idea with this publisher and a second publisher reaches out to me two weeks later. Oh we word. want you to write a book. I know. I'm like, okay, universe, I get it. Okay. I know how these things work. I need to stop and I need to reassess. Is this really the time for me to say yes to this? So I decided to say no to both of those publishers. Whew, that was a hard no, right? Because yeah. here I have two publishers saying they want me to write a book. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. That's what I kept telling myself. Oh, I don't know. You got, a, you got a definite yes here. And I said, no, I wanted to create some space and time for me to really think about, is this the right time for me to write a book? And what would I want to write about? I wanted, when I wrote the book, for it to be very, very intentional. So I sat down. So that was, you know, at that point with the two publishers, that was the end of October, And so I spent a couple of months really diving into what would my book be about? How would I write this? What do I want to do? And then I decided in January, yes, I'm going to write a book. So then I decided to go and I found an agent. I had someone introduce me to an agent and he was like, you know what? Let's, let's sit down, spend some time writing your proposal. And I spent the time writing a proposal. So first approached by publishers, mid October, sent out my proposal to publishing houses in June. That's a long gap there where I really dove into how do I want this yes to really work for me? Well, I can tell you what, it totally worked out because not only did I have this publisher that I'm with now, but I had, I ended up with seven other offers. The book went to auction, which is crazy for a new author, but now I'm with a publishing house. I'm with HarperCollins and I'm really happy with what we're doing. I'm thrilled. I'm beyond thrilled. I'm going to be honest with getting the book into the hands of as many women as possible, because this is the book I've been I've been made to write. This is the book that I'm so excited about. And if I had chosen to say yes back to those first two publishers and maybe just like quickly written some books because they wanted me to write fairly quickly, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am right now. And I am so much better off for it. The book is better off for it. My life is better off for it. So that's when saying no can really make a difference. And then taking the time to really find your yes. That's when you begin to see that, that it's okay to say no. 
Yeah. I think writing a book is such a perfect example of this because Mm -hmm. it requires so much of our capacity. Yes. What are some of the things in the process of not only writing the book, but now starting to promote the book and um, and all the things that are going to (laughs) come? You know, we're we're recording this at the end of August. You're listening to this in December 2019 or later. Um, And I'm sure that in December, you're still going to be busy promoting the book that comes out in October. So what are some of the things that in this period of time where you were working on the proposal, you were watching the book go to auction, you were writing the manuscript, editing the manuscript, now promoting the book, what are some of the things that you've had to say no to in this time? Well, that's a really good question because I I went into this knowing that this time period in my life was going to be a little more what's the word to use here? crazy, insane, hectic, yeah. right? All of those things. So I went into the entire process knowing that this was going to be a crazy time. So I very purposely made sure that my business was prepared. I set up systems in place so that my business is running more effectively without me um, in certain capacities, that I'm no longer the bottleneck in a lot of those systems and workflows that we have going. Um, I sat down with my family and we talked about the fact that you know, mom's going to mom's gonna have a lot going on during the fall. So let's make sure and really create some real good pockets of family time leading up to that, knowing that we're going to, we have very intentionally carved out certain spaces within the next couple of months to go through where I am going to be really focused on them. And then, you know, having a carrot, you know, after this kind of crazy season was something that we're doing really, really nice together as a family to have quality time. This is that idea of harmony that we talk about as well in the book, that there are seasons in our life where we're leaning into a priority. And for me right now, that priority is the book and getting this message out, because to me, it's more than a book. It's a movement to get to get women to, to stop feeling that need to be busy and to really take ownership over their life and to give them the tools to be able to do that. I want to lean into this. It's not that I have to. I want to. This is something I so truly, deeply want to have happen that I'm going to lean more into this. And so my personal life, my you know other aspects of my life, they're not going to get the same amount of attention over the next couple of months. And that's okay because I've prepared for that. I also know, though, once we get after the new year, I'm going to counterbalance and I'm going to shift and give more more focus and priority to my family during that time. So it's that idea of this counterbalancing. That's why we don't want balance. We really want harmony in our lives so that we can lean into these priorities. So that's one of the things that I'm doing now to really make this happen is that, you know, and this is the other thing is, is it's a conversation that I'm having on a regular basis with my team here at work, with my team at home. I call my family, my team, because we all work together to support and encourage one another at home. Um, And so it's not me going this alone. It's a team effort. So my kids are a part of that team. They're lifting me up during this time. There are other times that I do the lifting of them. My team here is doing lifting, you know, here at the office of me, um, during this time, making sure that I have time to do things like these interviews and to 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 go and do press and do things like that. So it really is to this idea that we are not, even if you're a solopreneur and you are on your own, you're not ever really truly on your own. We all have teams of people who love us and care about us and they want to lift us up. So allowing that to happen and allowing others that gift of lifting you it is such a gift. We feel like we're burdening other people when we when we ask for help. But truly, 
putting your hand out and saying, can you help me with this? It's a gift for other people to give to you. And allowing them to do that really will actually create stronger relationships and stronger teams uh, because of it. So um, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where I am at this point in my life. Yeah, no, that was a, a phenomenal answer. Well, Tanya, I know that we have only really scratched the surface of everything that you are writing about in The Joy of Missing Out and, and what you're teaching there. And I could spend all day talking to you about this, but unfortunately, <laughs> we are uh, coming up on time. One thing that I love to ask uh, most of our guests at the end of an interview is what they're excited about. And I know that you're excited about the book right now, mm-hmm. but I'd love to hear about something else that you're excited about in your life, in your business, and maybe even looking into 2020 and past this season where this is your top priority. What are you excited about looking into the future? Yeah, beyond the book, I would honestly tell you right now, my son is 16. So as we're recording this, he just started his junior year and I feel like I'm on the countdown. I've Mm. talked about the countdown for many years and now I'm really feeling it. And I have to be honest, this point with parenthood has been so unique because you're no longer parenting, you're more mentoring than anything else. You're, you're wanting to make sure that they have the tools to make the right choices and that they, they are actively choosing ownership over their own day. And really, I'm so excited about this phase in his life and watching these seeds that I planted from when he was really, really young, starting to flourish and to grow. And that has been so amazing and incredible. So I am just really excited about this next phase of life that I have. You know, my daughter's in, in middle school. My, my son, as I said, is 16. But this next phase with them, um, watching them mature and get older has been so exciting and so incredible. And so after the book launches in the, um, in, you know, starting in 2020, we're going to go start looking at colleges. And so just to be able to turn over those reins of adulthood over to my son, you know, in the next year or so. That is such an amazing, incredible, awesome experience that I'm I'm really excited about. That is incredible. Tanya Dalton, thank you so much for sharing the joy of missing out with us. And uh, congratulations on the book and congratulations on your son and his journey. And I'm excited for you and your whole family as well. And I'm excited about for all of the people who are going to have their lives changed by this book. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Find out more about Tanya Dalton at tanyadalton.com and look for her book, The Joy of Missing Out at your local bookstore or online and find her podcast, The Productivity Paradox, wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, you'll hear from growth strategist Toy Smith on how she decided to upend her business model so she could take better care of herself, her family, and her clients. If you're thinking about how you can take better care of yourself as an entrepreneur in 2020, don't forget to get help. We'd love to support you in the What Works Forum with 12 months of mastermind sessions, collaboration, and planning. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash forum to learn more. That's explorewhatworks.com slash forum. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. Production assistance by Kristen Runvik. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 250 more candid conversations with small business owners at explorewhatworks.com. <laughs>